Section 18. The Roosevelt Rondon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Roosevelt Rondon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission by Candido Mariana da Silva Rondon. Translation by Richard George Reedy and Edwin Douglas Murray. Third Lecture, Part 5. As it can be seen from this rapid account of my inspection tour, at the time in which it was made, that is to say, in August and September of last year, the work of construction had alone not been initiated in the portion comprised between the station of Presidente Pena and that of Jaru, and even the reconnoitering and survey of the ground necessary for the projection of the route between these two points were yet to be undertaken. Withal, there was no time to lose. We were already in the second fortnight of September, and it was imperative to have the telegraphic connection of Cuyaba and Santo Antonio concluded by the last day of December, in order to be able to inaugurate same on the 1st of January. The ground which was yet to be studied is that comprised between the river Europa from its mouth and the Jaru, and as far as it could be surmised from the indications deduced from the 1909 reconnaissance, the distance to be covered, if taken as a straight line, would not be more than 70 kilometers. Notwithstanding that the region was altogether covered with thick and high forests, we expected to be able to cross same in four or five days, provided this did not require more than a hasty exploration. I therefore decided to carry it out, and in order to facilitate the march, which I commenced on the 20th of September, I was determined not to take with me more than two men with no implements, not even a machete, as I was not disposed to lose time in cutting away. Each of us carried his own hammock, his gun, and ammunition. Besides this, only eight tins of condensed milk and salt. Our food would have to be supplied by the forest. That is, we would have to feed on the game and fruit which we might find. We thus traveled inside the forest 88 kilometers, generally heading to 60 degrees northwest, until we came across the Jaru at a point intermediary between the mouth of the river Tocfon and of the Igarape Paraiso, the latter of which we had crossed, after several other smaller rivers, such as the Miolo and the Boa Vista, direct tributaries of the Gi. In this first part of our march we took nine days. The second part, which consisted in the ascent of the Jaru, from the point of arrival to the telegraph station, I undertook to effect it following along the bed of the river, which was rendered possible by the fact that it was at the time ebbing, and presented numerous and extensive dry strands. Soon after commencing this new itinerary, I became unable to walk, having been attacked and wounded in the foot by a skate. At first I expected to recover in a short while from the sore which this wound had left me, but on realizing, after a four days' rest, that the case became worse, I sent one of my men up to the Barasayo Santos Dumont in order to bring down a canoe. In this I traveled 24.501 meters up to the store. 
Thence, on recovering, I proceeded on with the reconnaissance on foot and connected it to the last station of the Atacemis Jaru location. The total march attained a distance of 121 kilometers and allowed a route to be projected, closing the circuit between Presidente Pena and Jaru, with an extension of 77.061 meters of wire. Along the region traversed, there are many mountain ranges located in between the small rivers to which I have already referred, as well as others relative to the Egarapes do Chibe and the Ponte, affluents of the left bank of the Europa, besides numerous slopes whence descend some headwaters of lesser importance. This is the zone of the most famous rubber forests of the whole Guiparana no less remarkable for the quality of the latex they produce and for the density of the forests they form are the caucho trees which grow there this is due to the fact that in that stretch of land are combined the two most favorable conditions for the development and the improvement of the heavier brasiliensis and the caucho namely the great altitude and the existence of mountains of granitic rock each rubber tree of the Igarape do Paraiso supplies 12 gallons of latex. Those of the Madeira do not furnish more than three. And caucho, while frequently to be met with in the granitic soil, is never to be found in ground of aranitic formation. As regards the Indian population of this region, this is at the present moment located in the valley of the Jaru and is composed of two tribes, both of them on good terms with the rubber tappers who utilize their services. The first one occupies the headwaters of the river and has settled there recently, coming from the Yurupa, whence they take their name. The other, which is a native of the Jaru itself and bears the name of this river, has its villages further down, between the said river and the Anari, also an affluent of the Gi. The surveys to which I have alluded above were followed immediately by the work of location, and this was pushed on so intensively that by the end of December we had stretched the 374.235 meters of wire between Barreo del Melgaco and Arequimis, and finished the line from Cuyaba to Santo Antonio do Madeira, forming a continuous circuit of 1.490 kilometers served by twenty intermediate stations this is the main line the official inauguration of which was effected on the first day of january of the current year we had however previously constructed and handed over for service three branch lines with a total extension of seven six nine point nine four six to one of these from san luis de caceres to the town of mato grosso I have had occasion to refer in my lectures delivered to the public in this capital in 1911. Of the other two I shall now give a short notice. The first runs along the road of the Madeira Memore Railway and connects Santo Antonio to Guajara Mirim. Its main object is to answer the requirements of the police of that region where the territory of our country confines with that of Bolivia. The extension of this branch is 356 kilometers, and its intermediary stations are not more than four in number.
In laying out the wire, we at first utilized the post belonging to the railway, but later on we caused others to be erected for the exclusive use of our line. On the banks of the Madeira, from Santo Antonio to Guajaramirim, we did not meet other Indians beyond the Carapunas, whose villages are located in the zone comprised between the Mutumparana and Ribeiro. These are tame Indians who have been on friendly terms with the civilized men since the colonial days. Amongst them can be noted a large number of cabores, or a half-breed between African and Indian blood. The personnel of the Madeira Mamore Railway treat them kindly and at times even go out of their way to assist them. I can, for instance, state the case which occurred to one of them who necessitated undergoing costly medical treatment, in the course of which it became indispensable to amputate both his legs. The Indian, besides having been operated and carefully bound up, received from his benefactor as a present an apparatus sent from the United States to replace the amputated limbs. The last branch to which we have to refer is that which was carried from the station of the Parisis to a small village existing at the bar of the Rio dos Bugres, an affluent of the left bank of the Sepotuba. The construction was under the direction of the inspector of telegraphs, Dr. Francisco Xavier, assisted by a group of Indians named Terenas, who came especially for this purpose from the place where their tribe lived near the town of Miranda. The line measures 114.500 meters in extension and possesses the intermediary station Afonso's, situated in the plateau which one follows on descending the Serra dos Parises and precedes that of Tapirapoan. After having crossed the two mountain sides, it traverses some breeding camps and penetrates into new forests which extend up to the Sepotuba and the Paraguay, joining on to those of the Juaro and the Guapore. In the last part of the journey indicated there lives a tribe of Indians, the Barbados, famous in the chronicles of Mato Grosso for their tenacious and sanguineous resistance which, from the colonial days, they never ceased to oppose to the attempts of entering into their territory by persons of our civilization. The war which they sustained in the defense of their villages and domains was so merciless that it was not even possible to find out to what ethnographic group they belonged. When, in 1913, it was decided that the Telegraph Line Commission would be entrusted with the construction of that branch, the first measure taken by me to commence the work was the installation of a special service destined to gain the confidence and friendship of that tribe. Of all the trials in the wilds of Mato Grosso and other states to which the simple and easy method of entering into pacific and friendly relations with the nuclei of the primitive populations of our country had been submitted, this was certainly the roughest and of the most doubtful result, because no other people of the Indians had, as much as the Barbados, occasion and motives to confirm the belief that from the civilized people they could expect nothing but persecution slaughter and cruelty notwithstanding this i organized the service of pacification and having handed over the direction to mr severiano de albuquerque an old employee of the telegraph line commission whose capacity for carrying out analogous duties 
had already been demonstrated in Campos Nova de Serra del Norte, where he had succeeded in making peace with a group of Nambaquaras. I remained fully confident in the successful result which he would obtain. It was not long before the facts came to confirm my prevision, because that employee having fixed his abode on the left bank to the Indians, it would be easy for him to find numerous occasions of giving them proofs of his benevolence and kindness, by not hostilizing them and leaving them in the interior of the woods, presents of axes, machetes, and trinkets, etc., he had the satisfaction, in the beginning of August 1913, of receiving in his camp the visit of the first party of Barbados, who had procured civilized people with pacific and friendly intentions. On Severiano communicating this auspicious achievement to me, he described the warriors of this tribe as being most robust and healthy men, who had the habit of staining their bodies with genipapo and using, out of modesty, a small band of coconut leaf rolled up. Round their necks they hung strings of threaded palm nuts. From their ears hung balls of bright-colored feathers. Their hair was long and fell down to their shoulders in small plaits, or was used in one small and partial chignon on the top of their heads. The chiefs were distinguishable by various adornments of feathers, one on the head like a helmet, and others as bracelets and garters. The relations thus established have never since been interrupted. The visits to our camp became more and more numerous and frequent, and the men were accompanied by their women and children. This was evidently a great proof of the modification already operated in their minds by the confidence which we were inspiring in them. However, the prejudice engraved in their brains for more than a century of wars and merciless persecution is so great that they have not yet decided to take us to their villages. A similar state of mind appears to have been turned into a physical gesture which, by the prolonged habit through various generations, has transformed itself into an irreflexible movement common to all the individuals of the tribe. This gesture or tick consists in a quick and wide oscillating movement of the body, as would be made by an individual attacked by an enemy, who was endeavoring to sight him in order to strike him a death blow. And in order to elude the aim bobs incessantly from one side to the other, without, however, giving up the fight and procuring the favorable moment to attack his adversary. The Barbados act in this way on all occasions when they get into the presence of a civilized man. Their attitude is always that of men who are awaiting a sudden and treacherous blow. On the other hand, any one of us civilized people requires to dispose of a good dose of calmness and presence of mind in order to overcome the uneasiness which one feels at the moment of receiving the first greeting of a group of Barbados. Let us imagine for a moment that we find ourselves in the camp of the Rio dos Bugres and that we are informed of the approach of a member of warriors of that race. Out of curiosity, we immediately leave for the yard, desirous of seeing the ceremony used by them when they arrive at a strange village. Let us recollect those of the other tribes already seen. The Nambaquaras, for example, yell from afar, Anaue! which cry is immediately answered by those of the village visited, Anere, they following the entry of the first into the Maloka, 
whose yard they overrun in a large circle, each one carrying his bow and arrows in his uplifted hands. Having finished this circuit, they commence the conversation with the chief of the Maloka. What will the Barbados ceremonial be like? Behold, they approach. They arrive frowning, with a martial aspect, more aggressive than friendly. They all bring their bows and arrows. On arriving at a certain distance, they suddenly stop, hold up their bows in a shooting position, arm their arrows pointed at us, and draw the cords. They beat the ground angrily with their right foot. They send up a thrilling war-whoop, and all this so quickly that we had no time to recover from our astonishment and surprise. The bows giving way to the strong tension of the cords curve themselves and collect the force destined to be transmitted to the arrows. Now the cords loosened, the bows unbend. One hears the dry smack of the cords against the wood of the bows. If one of us, giving way to natural impulse, should close his eyes, he would have lost the most unforeseen part, and the only one really pleasing in the whole scene, the verification that the arrows had not left, but remained retained between the fingers which had directed and guided them. The cords had been let loose in vain, and the whole thing was finally nothing more or less than mere show, destined purely and simply to translate the sentiments of cordiality and good wishes of those who had mounted and executed same. I admit of the possibility of their existing persons, who, if they were placed in the conditions of having to receive the homages of this wild greeting, would find them little amusing, but so that we may be just, we must remember that they do not dispose of other elements in order to manifest their joy in their public feasts, except those which can be afforded to them by their poor arms. If they possessed cannon, it is clear that they would thunder the air with formidable discharges. When I returned to the camp of the Rio dos Bugres, already finding peace and friendly relations established with the Barbados, from the first words which I heard them speak, I immediately recognized them to be a branch of the great nation of the Bororos. It is known that of this nation there exists two other groups, respectively localized on the river San Lorenzo and on the Garces, the first in the basin of the Paraguay and the second in that of the Araguaya. The knowledge which we possess relative to the disposition and the capacity of mental assimilation of the two last groups makes things quite clear to us with regard to what we should expect from the first, and authorize us to predict that if the action initiated with such good results is not interrupted, from the tribe of the Barbados will come out, in a very short time, camp men and agriculturists as good and as useful to the general economy of the nation, and especially to Mato Grosso, as those who have come out of the other two. End of section 18